Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. We are um, actually in the sixth week of a sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew, which will take us actually all the way to Advent, so next November. We're going to spend a long time with this book because this book has some very important things to say to us. Today, it has very important things to say about us. And I think important to say at that point, while it does have very important things to say about us, let's not miss an opportunity to say, but however important these, are, these things are that the, the scripture says about us today, what it says about God is the gospel. What it says about God is even better than what it says about us. But in that, it's talking about us. Let's talk about, let's talk about churches. And we're going to talk about churches, and we'll be talking about our church today. This is a, this is a sermon that, he passed, that a pastor preaches to his or her local congregation, recognizing that you're also talking about congregations in general. But do hear this, first of all, perhaps, as members and friends of Oklahoma City First Church. This is about us. What in the world are we doing? What, what is it that we gather to do? How, how are we best understood or described? What, what is it that we're trying to do? What kind of change are we, are we trying to bring about by our gathering? You don't have to look very hard for people who still want to wear the labels of Christianity, who will say right out loud, yeah, but I don't get why we gather as a church. Here's the Greek word for those people is mistaken, I think. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we gather because this is our calling to gather as the people of God. We gather as the body of Christ. Scripture couldn't be clearer. What it is that we see Christ doing through the Gospels we are then called and commissioned and equipped to do and to be as the body of Christ. We have to gather. We have to gather. It's really important that we gather here to rehearse how we are going to gather out there in our day-to-day lives. It's crucial. What we do here is crucial. You might be an educator, an attorney. You might work in law enforcement. You might be a student. You might be a surgeon. I would submit even if you're a pastor. You don't do anything more important than participate in the ongoingness of the body of Christ. The planet needs a tangible expression of Christ. And you are, we are, we are a tangible expression Christ. Does that feel like pressure? It does to me. Yeah, it's pressure. But people believe it deeply, and maybe that's why a guy like Ralph Erskine Hudson writes, "'Tis a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the Lamb." Wow, I know spots and wrinkles in the church. (laughs) I think I've been that spot or that wrinkle at times in the church. Now, in fairness to him, he is talking about the church triumphant or the church in eternity. He recognizes, as all of us recognize, that the church does in fact have warts and spots and wrinkles and problem spots. Maybe even weeds. What in the world? 
In fact, uh, there's another way. Augustine of Hippo says this about the church, that we are corpus permixtum, <laughs> church as a mixed body. Mixed? What does that mean? Mixed, mixed with what? Or, or of what are we a mixture? And the answer is, yeah. Yeah. We are a mixture. In fact, we are perhaps not what God most dreams us to be when we are not broad. In fact, I would say to us, as smart as we like to be, and by the way, we like to do good theology here, look no further than the roster of Sunday school class teachers that we have around here, look no further than some of the things we do in spiritual formation. We don't say, hey, come for a couple of weeks and we'll talk about the Bible. We say, come for 35 weeks and we will take you on a deep dive through scripture and we, ha- we can do that for four years. We like doing theology well around here. We like going deep. If we aren't broad, we're not deep. fact, church, as your pastor, one of the things that I pray for is this, that we would be broader so that we can be deeper and more faithful. Now, over the years, you're anywhere for 27 some odd years. Yeah, 27 years here. You're going to hear things that will stick in your memory and perhaps not for a good reason. And so I have heard a couple of times in particular, people in our orbit say something like this, I just want to be with my own kind. Okay. Do it. It's not a church, but go do that. In fact, one time, and this has been a couple decades ago, I was trying really hard to gather a, a group of people here that aren't represented and haven't been represented here. And this is what was said to me by a leader in the church. Those folks have their places. A church is a grand experiment. A church is supposed to be a grand experiment. Where people get together, stay together, eat together, sit together, sing together, plan together, give and serve together, who might not anywhere else in the culture ever be together. A couple of scriptures that are going to be familiar to you, but I want to bring them back to our consciousness because I'm not sure that we actually hear them in context very well. When we hear in Isaiah 11 about the kingdom of peace, and when we hear about wolves and lambs being together, I think we have the awful tendency to say, won't heaven be great someday? Mm, 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 mm. The hope and the plan communicated by a stubborn prophet who is communicating for an even more stubborn God, is that wolves and lambs would figure out a way to be together and would prioritize being together, prioritize being together because of their differences. Jesus said it something like this. Love your enemies. Blair Hart helped me one day in Sunday school. She said, yeah, maybe it would feel better to us and it would sound and be more relevant to us if Jesus would have said, love your opposites. So let's, let's say them both. Love your enemies and love your opposites. But folks, that was just not a way to fluff up your personal pietistic spiritual resume. It's not just about you. 
when we love our enemies and our opposites, we are Christians and the church. We need to be broader so that we can be deeper and more faithful. We need to practice a gathering here that is broader so that it can be deeper and more faithful so that when we gather, in quotes, out there, when all of us are going to work, we recognize the beauty, the beauty and the power of Christian friendship, which understands still, even out there, that broader is better, broader is deeper, broader is faithful. Here's the problem, here's the problem. And I've been this person sometimes. Here's the problem, Christians. Christians, some, not all, most here, I would say, fall into the category of well on their way to saints. I love you all. You all are incredible. But some people at some churches, and you know what church I'm talking about, (laughs) like being policemen, like being in a position to say we are in and those people are out, in out lines because if a Christian by the way Christians hardly ever draw the line such that they're out what if a church just what what if what if a church understood the power of breath I think we miss Christ's commitment to breadth. I think we miss it. Uh, Yes, I mean, we can acknowledge that Jesus goes and ministers amongst the Samaritans. Samaritans, (laughs) y'all. But I think we miss something that happens actually a little closer, actually, to to Jesus. The, The makeup of the roster of the disciples is absolutely astounding. People who would have otherwise been sworn enemies, Christ calls together as if to say, we're going to put some skin and flesh on this wolf and lamb thing, and we're going to do it right off the bat with our roster of disciples. Matthew, prior to being with Jesus, hated Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot, prior to being with Jesus, hated Matthew. Matter of fact, they may have hated one another after meeting Jesus, but over a period of time, Jesus said, wolves and lambs, love your enemies and your opposites, because this is when we are us. We're a mixed body. Part of the reason we're a mixed body, corporately speaking, is because there are a lot of us who are mixed bodies, individually speaking. I mean, some days we might be a whole lot like wheat, and other days we might be a whole lot like weeds. So people who are 15 days out of the month wheat and other 15 days out of the month weeds, they attend our church. So perhaps we're a body mixed because we're a mixture of bodies that are mixed. Those people, honest about being mixtures, ought not draw lines. Okay, let's just keep going. (laughs) 
So in the early church, so Matthew 13, we believe it was all written down and organized this gospel during a, a point in time when the church was really struggling. Now this is after the destruction of the temple. But there were pockets of people, congregations, but these congregations were varied very diverse. You had folks who grew up within Judaism, and perhaps they converted, converted, but they were still Jewish Christians, while you had other people who were raised far, far away from Judaism. They come in as Gentile Christians. They were at war all the time, it seemed like, all the time. And there were always people who were willing to say, they shouldn't be here. Only those of us who vote this way should be here. They, they have their own spaces. Can't we find them their own spaces? There was structural integrity issues in the early church. And we think Paul writes to it a lot, and perhaps Jesus is here as well. I think he is. That diversity was a measure of strength and also a source of tension. And the early church, believing as it did, or at least as many did, that the end, the end, when Christ comes back and finishes everything, was very near, they struggled with patience, 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 patience. And I think Jesus tells this parable to address all of that. Jesus said to them, the kingdom of heaven may be compared, let's stop actually. We're not talking about heaven after you die here. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is. The kingdom has arrived. Jesus was saying that all the time. Jesus was very intentional, very clear in saying, I am bringing this kingdom with me and I have unleashed this movement known as the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And he is here talking about what happens and what can happen here and now, not hereafter. Everybody with me? This is here and now, not hereafter, or you miss the entire thing. How many of you with me? All right. Eleven of us. Let's go. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. This is wheat. And by the way, we talked a little bit about this last week. This sewing was probably not a very careful line by line. They're all six inches apart. It's probably not that kind of thing. It's probably a very a hully gully sort of throw seeds wherever they'll go. Seeds are going to find the ground because I'm going to throw them, throw them, throw them. So he sowed seeds in his, a good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. That is outrageous, and everybody that Jesus would have been talking to would have understood it to be outrageous, incredibly outrageous. Who does such a thing? Because we are talking about not just any weed, but a very specific weed here, the adversary of wheat, let's say. So you have wheat here on the left, but tares, or as you probably call it, bearded darnell, <laughs> or perhaps as really smart people call it, lolium tamalint, that word, It looks a whole lot like wheat. Are you meaning to tell me, John, that somebody sabotaged that field? That field? Or the good sower, the son of man, Christ is going to tell us in a little bit that the son of man sows good, field, good seed in this field. We are, for all intents and purposes, that field where Christ has sowed good seeds, and some of you just are just great wheat. Some of you are great wheat. Are you trying to tell me are you trying to tell me that somebody came in and sabotaged that field by sowing these ugly, ugly weeds that frankly are indistinguishable and very dangerous to the wheat? 
Let's talk a little bit about this bearded darnel. It usually grows in the same production zones as wheat. The similarity between these two plants is so great that in some regions, darnel is referred to as false wheat. It it bears a close resemblance to wheat until the ear disappears. Its roots surround the roots of the good plants, sucking up precious nutrients and scarce water, making it impossible to root it out without damaging the good crop. Above ground, darnel looks identical until it bears seed. Those seeds, those seeds that come from the darnel can cause everything from hallucinations to death. This is a problem. What makes it worse is Christ's insinuation here that some of this is the work of an enemy of the church. Now, I don't know how many of you have been coming, actually I do know about 12 of you have been coming to a Wednesday night uh, class that we have been hosting, me and Dr. Wright and Dr. Jones, it's called Reviving Old Scratch. We're just taking another run and go, what do we mean when we say the devil? What is, what is the devil? What, how should we access this devil? How should we understand the devil? And we have one more week to go, so 16 chapters in to this book, here's my answer. I'm not quite sure. I do believe that there is something that pushes back. When we push this way, something pushes back. I do believe that there is an adversary. I don't know how to describe or draw this adversary. I don't know what colors to use. I do believe there to be an adversary. I do believe that there is an opposing force that pushes back as we try to do the good things and the right things. I do believe there is an adversary that would like for us to not succeed and pushes back. The devil? I'll never forget someone asking Dr. Green, Dr. Green, do you believe in the devil? And without missing a beat, Dr. Green said, absolutely, I used to be your pastor. (laughs) Know exactly where she lives. It's funny, but it's interesting, right? In other words, what Dr. Green said, and what Christ seemed to be saying is, sometimes you don't have to even go outside of the building to sense adversaries. The work of the adversary that perhaps, perhaps, makes us feel as if there are adversaries in the room. Man, if sitting where you are, you feel like you have adversaries in the room, then maybe... You identify with these workers. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came to him and said, Master, did you do this right? (laughs) Did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? And he answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, okay, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now this is a parable that was told in front of a large group of people. But then the scene changes, and Jesus gathers his inner circle to him, 
and they ask a very important question. He left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And that's where he goes. It's very specific about the different symbols and how we should understand these different symbols. I want you to hear something, though. I mean, I'll read these verses to you. Verse 37. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. This is not, and is not intended to be, a scientific treatment of the devil and devil's work. If you leave this passage of scripture saying, oh my goodness, I can look around the sanctuary and see other people that the devil put here. You're missing the point. In other words, a lot of people miss the point. In other words, a lot of people miss the point. Which point? Uh, the gospel. Yes, they miss the point about what it means to be a church, but they also miss the point that I would call the gospel, and every time we use the terminology of gospel, we must be speaking more about God and the grace of God than ourselves. Because here's the point. God is patient. Here's the point. <laughs> you and I, if we take this parable seriously, if we take it seriously, are relieved, are relieved of the responsibility to be the church's police person. You and I are relieved of the responsibility to know for sure who's wheat and who's weed. Are you saying, John, that in the face of this evil sown by the evil one, that we are to do nothing? Absolutely not. Here's what you need to do. Live faithfully. Live as faithfully as you can according to the gospel we see most clearly in the faith and the mission and the ministry of Christ. Live as people who love sacrificially and let God be the policeman, please. But, John, if I do that, if I'm not the policeman, then I can't tell somebody they need to leave. Yeah, that's right. I wonder if policemen in our midst know they might be the weeds that they're after. I wonder if they know. Does this mean that we don't take stands? No, 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 no. It's not, it doesn't mean that at all. I mean, you can't look at the life of Christ you can't look at the lives of the disciples and then draw the conclusion that they, in response to this parable, then just decided not to make a stand. No, they did. They made all kinds of stands that cost them dearly, but they always made a stand that started with the love that starts in the heart of God. They always made stands that were in keeping with the grace that always starts with the heart of God. 
always. That does not mean that anything goes, because as your pastor, I've been in a position to say to people, wow, you have moved beyond this boundary and you can no longer serve in these ways, but I always follow up with this, we want you to stay Stay around these campfires. Stay and find help. Stay and move toward Christ's likeness. But I can't and you shouldn't ever determine in your mind who doesn't belong. It's very dangerous because in trying to determine who doesn't belong, you might not. These were good-hearted workers who came to the field owner and said, hey, what do you want us to, you can hear it, they're good-hearted. What would you like for us to do? Do you want us to go and gather up the bad folks? Gather up this very, because it's very dangerous, would you like for us to kind of gather them up and get them out? And the response is, why don't we just trust God to do that? Now, some of you, sitting where you are, are disappointed. There are lines, pastor. There are lines. And everything falls apart if we don't adhere to these lines that organize who we are, that tell us who's in and who's out. There are lines. Some people actually feel like God needs our protection. I have a, a question there at the end. What's the gospel? I'm going to fill it with a few lines. Here's the first one. God is so big, he does not need your protection. Big, burly, big. So big, you don't have to be Barney Five. That's how big God is. Okay, kids, Barney Five is a character in a very old show. He was a deputy, only carried one bullet, but he really took his job very seriously, right? What I'm saying is, you are hereby undeputized to be God's deputies to purify the church. Because here is an even better gospel truth. Are you ready? God is patient and patiently working in ways that might turn weeds into wheat. God is patiently working in ways that might revolutionize the entire field. God is patient. And those of us who have ever, for even a day, been weeds, understand and recognize and experience that as good news. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, and I'm not going to ask your, your friend or your spouse to tattle on you, but my suspicion is all of us at one time or another have been weed. Worthy, worthy of exclusion. 
And here's what God has said to the policemen, the deputies, the Barney Fives in your world. God has said, hang, hang on a minute. I'm doing something here in her. I'm doing something here in him. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Put your bullet away. I'm doing something here in them. Time will tell. Fruit will prove what fruit always proves. But in the meantime, God says, I'm doing something here. What if we prayed, and with this I'll close, what if we prayed this prayer, God, I only want to be as patient as you are. I double dog dare, that's very serious dare, I double dog dare you to pray that prayer, God, help me to be as patient as you are. What comes with patience is this deep belief that, in fact, God is up to something. And people, maybe this goes in that last section as well. This is gospel and good news. Hear this. God is up to something. God is never not up to something. God is moving all things toward God's hope and dream for all of creation. Let's trust the patient, slow work of God. If you're helping us, if you'll come here and help to set the table for us. Sometimes uh, patience requires food and drink, sustenance, sustenance, energy, sometimes in order to not say what needs to not be said, sometimes in order to not take the posture that needs not to be taken, sometimes it only happens when we are nourished and helped and strengthened by this regular routine even, demonstration of the grace of God. If you are visiting with us today, in a moment, you're gonna be asked to stand to your feet and exit your pew to the left to come forward to receive the bread and the cup. And Heavenly Father, please, please bless these elements and bless us as we receive them, that somehow we would be more than we would have been otherwise, more patient than we would have been otherwise, more grateful than we would have been otherwise. May we listen for and hear the messaging that you intend in the broken body and in the shed blood. Church, as is our custom, we're going to ask you to come forward with your hands cupped. You'll exit your pew to the left. You'll come forward with your hands cupped to receive that which comes to you as gift and grace. You don't deserve this, but you do get it. There's where we start rehearsing the posture that we need to take with a broad congregation. Someone will press a little piece of bread into your hands and we'll say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. A person standing right there will be holding a cup full of juice. Dip it in there. When you do, that person will say to you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Tangible reminders of the grace that starts somewhere other than you, but that you receive as a gift. 
then take and eat, and then, this is super important today, please find a place to pray. And I don't always do this, but I would ask you today to pray, at least pray this prayer along with the other prayers that you're praying today. I want you to pray about the patience of God. Perhaps what you'll pray in a moment of vulnerability is, whew, I'm glad God's been patient with me. Maybe today's a good day to pray that prayer. God, I have not gotten what I've deserved. You have been patient with me. Because God has been patient with me. God has been patient with you. And maybe you get to the next part of this prayer, which would be, now God, grow my divine sense of patience that I might be the tangible reminder of your patience in the life of another. Relieve me of my responsibility to root out before it's time. If you can't come to us Caleb and Aaron will come to you. There is here, and I forgot to say this last week, there is here a bowl of water. And you're invited to come and just dip your fingers into this water because the hope is if you do that, then your memory will be jogged and you'll say to yourself, wow, I belong, and I belong because, for a lot of reasons, but I belong primarily because God has been patient not to kick me out. And there have been others who have been patient have not kicked me out and I belong I still belong and your wet fingers can be a tangible reminder that you in fact still belong and that God is still patient with us which includes you and me hear this ritual it was on the night they just betrayed that our Savior took bread broke it and he blessed it Gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body now broken for you. Every time you eat this bread, remember me. Remember, remember in ways that allow your bodies to be shaped. Later on after dinner, he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, a new covenant now made with you. And every time you drink it, remember me. May the body and the blood today strengthen you to do your part, which is to be as faithful as you can to this Jesus. And now all across the sanctuary, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped, ready to receive the gifts of God meant for the people of God. As you can tell, some are finding their ways to an altar. If you were to come to one of these side padded altars, we would join you there for a prayer for healing. And we'll pray about just about anything there, physical, emotional, relational, familial, theological healing. Someone will meet you there and pray that very powerful prayer. If you come to one of these mourner's benches, we don't have to know why you're here, but you will know that we are here. Someone will touch you on the back, the head, the neck, and pray along with you, just so you know, 
that you are never alone. So sitting where you are, if you would, if you see someone here praying, it's a good time for you to get up and be that tangible expression, tangible expression of the companionship of God. Please come pray with someone. Make sure that someone feels that hand or that touch that will allow you then to communicate the companionship of God. confession and then guide us through prayers for those who are sick before we end with the Lord's prayer and please take whatever posture of prayer is most comfortable for you you are welcome to stand some will stand others will kneel there you're always welcome to come forward come to the altar or just stay seated, but stay aware. God is doing something. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. First of all, we are very grateful that you have been patient. Church, what a good time to pray that prayer on your own. If you haven't already done so, this is a great time for you to say, God, apparently you have been patient with me. Pray and be grateful. God, though we have been and are so often recipients of your grace, your patient grace, we confess, God, that we aren't always very good at reflecting that patience or that grace to someone else. Because, God, we find them to be in a troubling sort of way on the other side of very important lines. We confess, God, that we need to stay in touch with your grace with your patient grace. We confess that we need to be more regularly in touch with your patience so that we can, in grateful response, be patient grace. Throughout this week, Lord, remind us of this parable. Remind us of these ambitious workers who went to the field owner and said, hey, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to weed the fields? May we hear all over again the words of the Son of Man who say, now we're going to wait and trust God. In the meantime, we will trust that God is doing something. God, grant us the capacity in better and greater and deeper ways to trust that you're doing something. And not just in those around us, but in us, in each of us. But also in us as a church, give us a greater capacity to trust that you're doing something good and specific amongst us as OKC First.
Many of you are aware of someone who is sick or hurt, injured, perhaps lonely, otherwise damaged. This is a good time right now to pray as specifically as you know how that God would bring healing and perhaps use you in the process of bringing some sense of companionship, God's companionship. So would you pray right now that God would heal? I'd like to ask you to pray for Len Caprero, for Bob Corey, for Trudy Caprero, all struggling one way or another, physical challenge. Pray for LaDonna Bennett. You might include in that prayer prayer of gratitude because the surgeon said that he got all of the tumor. Continue to pray. Can I ask you to pray for Mike Laughlin, who is in Toronto and tired? <laughs> pray for Mike. you pray for my friend Jason Smith pray for the family that God would breathe fresh breath into their lives over the next five weeks so grateful for the ways that you have cared for our young people, our students as they have traveled all over the country, literally. Thank you for bringing them back. Now, God, keep them motivated. Keep them energized that we might listen and be led by their examples, led out into these neighborhoods where the gospel makes tangible differences. God, may we get better at listening for you and looking for you. God, may we get better at putting skin and flesh on the Christ. May we take seriously this opportunity to be understood as the body of Christ. A body mixed for sure, but the body of Christ nonetheless. Help us to be people who put skin and flesh on the words of this very important and powerful prayer that Christ taught his disciples to pray. May we learn to pray it, and God, as we pray it, may we actually believe it. <laughs> a little bit at a time, Lord, as we pray this powerful prayer, may it take up ground and take up residence in our minds and hearts and our imaginations so that finally we do deeply believe the words that you taught your disciples to pray, and we will pray them today using debts and debtors Let's pray together as we close. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.